I had a great time this weekend. On Saturday, I drove five hours up to St. Louis. I played a gig, and then right afterwards, I got in the car, and I drove five hours back to Nashville, all in one day. It was a long day, but it was a really good gig. had a great time. I played it off-Broadway in St. Louis, and the people that run the place were just really, just really nice to me. It was top-notch, and the crowd was, was a good crowd there. They were attentive, just great experience all around. And I got to hang out with my buddy Brian Henneman, and I uh, saw a lot of other friends. But I remember I walked into the men's bathroom at one point, and I couldn't figure out why there weren't any urinals. I kept looking around, and I was a little bit confused. And then three women walked in. They looked at me and kind of gasped and told me to get the hell out of the women's restroom. Hi friends, this is Otis Gibbs and you're listening to Thanks for Giving a Damn. I'm sitting here in my living room in East Nashville, Tennessee with my cat baby sitting right on my lap. This is a personal journal. This is a bit of an experiment. I like to say right up front that I haven't the slightest idea what I'm doing, but I decided to do it anyway. And this show was founded with the idea that there are only two people in art that matter. There's the creative individual and the person experiencing it. And everything else is an artificial filter. This is a way for me to share things with you guys without any filters whatsoever. My guest this week is Tim Easton. Tim is a singer-songwriter who lives right here in East Nashville, Tennessee. And you can find out everything you need to know about Tim at timeaston.com. I first met Tim back in the mid-90s when we used to trade shows when he lived in Ohio and I lived in Indiana. We've run into each other off and on throughout the years. It's been a long time now, but he's been one of my favorite singer-songwriters for, for quite a while. I've always really enjoyed Tim's music. I really enjoy his guitar playing also. It's great to have him living here in East Nashville. And he invited me over to his house, and we sat down in his basement and had a really nice conversation. And I hope you guys enjoy it. Here's Tim Easton. When people ask me where I grew up, I, I say Ohio, and, and then I'll say Akron, because uh, there was a lot of different shifting around there. I, my, um, I was born up in Lewiston, New York, up on the Niagara River, and my dad's from Buffalo. And then uh, he got a job for Goodyear, so they transferred us to Akron. But almost a year after that, we got transferred to J- Japan for three years, and then back to Akron after that. So I had, a, I had some growing up in Japan there, too, in uh, like second, third, and fourth grade. Did you tell me once that you had an art class that uh, Chrissy Hine attended? No, no, it was her. Uh, we had the same same art teacher, Gerard Culver was his name, and uh, he was my photography teacher. Actually, he um, taught. You know, basically, that's where I learned to use uh, darkroom and and uh, get to work on that kind of stuff, like building collages early on. I remember, and he he was a good teacher, and he had two drawings by her that he would bring out in front of the class. And uh, one of them was a self-portrait, and the other one was a, a drawing that she did of a man that she would grow up to marry. It was Ray Davies, yeah. And um, yeah, it was you know she you know she loved the Kinks and 
she drew a picture of him and and um yeah and i got to meet her and talk to her about it and i i don't know why like it's probably like they had had a kid and they went through a divorce and the kid was on the ground actually i remember playing with a with a bob dylan cassette he had like blonde on blonde cassette this is back in the 80s late eight maybe no i'm sorry could have been the early 90s pretenders were on tour and i went to see him in columbus and and um i was talking to her about it and she remembered mr culver and we were just rapping about that and um she asked me what the drawings were and for some reason i couldn't tell her that it was him like they had just gone through a divorce or something like that i, I didn't i didn't feel like bumming her i don't know what it was but and i think i and, and it's weird because I'll, I'll have to straighten this out with her eventually i mean she basically said what was the other drawing and i said I don't know. It was like Elvis or something. Cause that like, that was the nearest, I don't know why I said that. And she was just, she just went Elvis. Like, why would I draw, you know, she completely clearly like Elvis. I wasn't an Elvis dude, you know, I wasn't in, and she kind of definitely knew that I didn't know what I was talking about or something. And the traveling bug just set in early. I mean, my dad was a big traveler too. And he sent me postcards from all over the world. And that probably had a lot to do with it. And I, I basically left uh, Ohio State and went over there and it was an intern with um, BUNAC, British University's North American Club. It's just like, it's like a green card over here. They called it a blue card over there. And you paid like 80 pounds, like 120 bucks. And you got a, a visa for six months to work in the United Kingdom if you could prove that you were going to come back to university. And I was, you know, I was going back, I was going to Ohio State at the time. So I basically went and took advantage of that and uh the fact is i couldn't really write play songs in public you know i just i couldn't do it there was a few things i could do but i couldn't play my own songs because i didn't have anything you know to say or, or any stories to tell and i'm and i basically went over there where i could stand in the subway and play and felt like no one was judging me if i was going to play a Sonny Terry Brown and McGee song, or if I was going to play an REM song or whatever I was, you know, a ween, I played it with like play a ween song in the, you know, in the subway. And just cause it happened to move you and you liked the way the reverb in the subway was that day. So you went for it, you know, and you made a couple bucks and I basically went over there to learn some chops and then ended up of course in a, in a huge bohemian dream, you know, of going back and forth all the time and going to Spain eventually. And where I lived for a year was Paris. I did live there for a year. I mean, I can't even believe it, you know, now to be able to say that is like, eh, as a young man, I lived there for a full year in the 20th. And, uh, and basically it's still, I'm still working it out completely. That, that one I'm still working out like all the time, like just different stories are popping into my head left and right about that one, one year spent there. And, and, you know, a little bit at Shakespeare and company, which, um, I've just written a bunch of pieces, uh, uh, magnet guest editor pieces for about things that I love. And this is some things like that came up like uh, Gregory Corso and Shakespeare and Company and George Whitman, who ran it. It was his bookstore in Paris, you know, where that was, you know, that was a separate bookstore, but under the same name back when Hemingway and those cats were running around Paris. So it had that, it had that heaviness to it. And, um, you know, I started running around there and, the Americans that I met there, you know, ended up knowing them, some of them, you know, to this day, of course. And that's how I ended up crossing paths with backhands and stuff like that, you know, like going, like I would basically was playing 
or at a poetry reading at Shakespeare and Company, met this kid named James Rowe who said he was in the Screaming Trees. I remember he said that. And I was like, really? And then, uh, you know, I'd, I'd known about them because of the Afghan wigs from, from uh, Ohio. And uh, basically, he said he had a friend that was coming to town named and uh, I don't remember if he said his name. He just said, I got a friend that's coming to town. He's from California. He's really good. He he needs a place to crash. Can he stay at your place? And I said, sure. So it's Beck. It's Beck Hansen, you know, <laughs> and basically, uh, you know, before pre, you know, before Loser came out long before that, actually, he had just made a He had a cassette called Banjo Story, which uh, some of the songs that are on there I know as well. And uh, I guess my dog's crying because he, he doesn't like this Beck story. I don't, I'm, I'm kind of bored with it myself. <laughs> I had just come back to the States for a minute because I would, you know, periodically come back home and then I would go overseas and I, for on and off for like seven years, really, I was over there just running around, not really having a concrete plan of any kind. Like I didn't have to be anywhere at any time. I really would get to do, I learned to do things like go, I went to pre-Civil War Yugoslavia, you know, with 50 bucks in my pocket, you know, and I really... <laughs> seriously like that i we i crossed the uh boat from uh from italy to uh split which is now um croatia and uh and joe cirillo and i you know the uh my best friend he played the washboard and i had that old gibson basically and we would go over there and their inflation was so bad that their money was all you know stacks of bills would just add up to you know quarters and and so they, it was just all this paper money that was hardly worth anything. And then you had to add zeros or take away. You could barely understand it. All you just knew that pivo, which was beer, was 25 cents. And burek, you know, this cabbage pie burek, you know, it's, you don't need much, you know, in your 20s, we're just running around. It was incredible. We played in these beautiful acoustic chambers, uh, the, the palaces that were these towns were built around, Dubrovnik and Split. And it was just so fun. You know, and, and we didn't really need much money, but we were, you know, we made it off the tourists. You know, the Yugoslavian people didn't have money to give to you, but tourists did. And there was a lot of Italian tourists and Austrian tourists and stuff. And uh, basically people were, every now and then a little rumble would come through of, of a gaggle of angry people. And they'd be like, there's going to be a war. There's going to be a war. And, you know, we're just drinking, you know, hey, take it easy, man. <laughs> well, we don't, uh, had no understanding whatsoever of almost history you could say you know it's a big lesson for me you know now that i know now that i know you know well you you're taught in high school if you're an american high school kid you know hey well both world wars you know started in the same kind of region right here there's something going on there you know you don't you don't really think about it much there was times when we would work the trains in london i had a busking partner named uh, cecilia varvner and she was the daughter of a, a, um, a minister in Sweden. And she would play the flute and she played the spoons and she could sing the high harmony on this train was bound, this train is bound for glory. You know, Woody Guthrie song, like you get on the train and um, you sing, like we'd sing Doc Watson, Southbound, uh, this train is bound for glory. It's Merle Watson wrote the song, but you know, and uh, we'd get on there and just bottle the money. And then she was the Swedish girl, you know, with dreadlocks or whatever, she would bottle up the money. She was called the bottler in that term. And, you know, like 
you should just get by on that forever. You know, that was so easy. It was so easy and you, everything was just completely a dream, you know? The last time, Cecilia Varvner, she's now, uh, well, the last time I talked to her, she was a, one of the street statues in Barcelona. Like on the, on the, on the Ramblas, yeah, she would be like one of those statues, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's where she went. But yeah, and we met and we, we sat in a courtyard in Spain a couple years ago in um, Barcelona and played and we had the same instruments that we had like years ago you know and um basically sat and played again and i'm i'm gonna go to spain this november so maybe she'll be there again and uh i've been i've been so wrapped up in trying to and going through some of my journals and like remembering some of the things that happened and i uh, a really quick one is uh cecilia varvner and elizabeth admundsen who's a Norwegian girl, the three of us were, tra- were hitchhiking through Ireland together. Hitchhiking at, in, was an accept- and is an accepted form of transportation in Ireland. It's like accepted to do it. Uh, I've been hitchhiking there where the same person picks you up two years in a row or a mother with a child picks you up because it's just, you know, I mean, times have changed in Ireland, no doubt, but this is, um, this is the, uh, the late 80s. <laughs> this is the late 80s when this is happening. And, um, you know, you had to go to Galway Arts Fest and we were traveling out of there and the three of us got in line to get, to get out of town, you know, and the, the guy pulls over and he says, I'll take those two, but not you pointing to me. So I didn't get in the car. So they drove off and I thought, okay, this would be my opportunity to relax, you know, do my, my own thing, travel alone, you know, lone wolf. And, uh, so, but I'm not going to, you know, pitch, you know, I'm not going to tent or camp out right where I am near this roundabout. So I'll just get out of town a little bit. So I put my thumb out and I got in this Goodyear service vehicle and I remember it because, you know, it was Goodyear or whatever. And that's so why I, I, uh, the kid was driving so fast that he passed those two girls in the truck with the guy and they didn't see me pass him. <laughs> so, so he drops me off down the road and then I put my thumb out again and here they come down the road and I'm in front of them. And, uh, they both jump, you know, basically jump up in their seats and look, you know, watch me turn their heads and watch me standing there. And I'm just kind of, you know, having a good time and, um, try to pretend like it's not a big deal. And then, uh, an Irish surfing, uh, family, um, picked me up in a, in a vanigan in a Brown vanigan, And, uh, they had surfboards and a beanbag. They had a beanbag chair in the back and I got in there and they had two kids and I fell asleep on the beanbag. Like where else, where, you know, else when you're hitchhiking, do you fall asleep in the car? You know, <laughs> that's how great it was, you know? And, uh, and, um, the driver said a few things and woke, jostled me from my sleep. And I thought we were in Dublin already. I was like, oh, well, I'm in Dublin. I'll just get out and do my thing. And I opened up the door and it was those two, Cecilia and Elizabeth. And we were on the side of a country road and he was picking them up. <laughs> and uh so we were reunited in the uh in the van together and basically yeah we just sat in that triangle you know just kind of understanding that we were going to know each other for the rest of our lives you know it's see when you're going to go to scandinavia you're opening up a can of things so like i you've probably played that bar in in is it Norway where there's like a fight every night? Everybody guarantees there's certain. I've, I've luckily missed that one. Okay, there's I forget the name of it. I just know there's a couple of Texas guys who are like, I won't even go there, man. You know, and you're like, whoa, okay, <laughs> shit. All right. Um, well, I had one in Austin not too long ago, you know, and I want to apologize right now to the sound man for for yeah, just you know my shitty chords or whatever I had that 
just wasn't working, you know, and that made me scream fuck at the top of my lungs, you know, not into the <laughs> microphone, but I did this full on like fuck. And it wasn't at anything at all. I was screaming at my feet. I was looking at the ground. And then I stood up and I was like, I'm all right. Sorry about that, everybody. And just relaxed and decided it. And Megan and I decided to do the rest of the show acoustic and just unplug everything and just stand on the side of the stage and busk it, basically. And it was my fault. That's all I'd like to say. That's all. You know, I mean, that's when it gets down to whenever you get angry and you have a bad gig, you can say, oh, God, you know, there's been, of course, times when I could blame someone else for it but most of the time you know you're you're the one that got yourself there in the first place like you accepted this 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 life or this chore or whatever you want to call it at the time um if, if you're talking about hecklers i love i don't mind them at all i mean of course there's been times but you remember i've i've been a street musician in ireland so i can handle hecklers man i had gypsy kids diving from my my, my case and try to steal money you know so and I, having to kick children it's awesome <laughs> I never kicked a child. I mean, I got him right in the elbow. I have so much fishing gear. When are we going to go fishing? I need to go fishing soon. And in Tennessee, I've been slacking so hard. Yeah. So have I. I, you know, I just like, I'm really kind of down on it because, of course, I am leaving for Alaska in three days. All right, so never mind. I'm not slacking at all. You're right. I, I mean, but I might not get to fish up there, but I'd say fishing... Down here, like I need you to show me some stuff, some spots, because I, I've I've Googled it, you know, whatever. I've gone online and I've figured it out. I've got all the stuff. I just need to. I don't know why. It's like I'm gonna need. I need a buddy or something. I need somebody to. I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. But it's it's very. When you have a child, just making the time for that. All of a sudden, when you have like a spare, you know, four hours where you could go do it, because I know there's some good. I know within a, you know short distance here, there's some good stuff, and uh. I'm surprised. I'm surprised at my own self that I haven't done it yet. Actually, it's easy not to when you move to a different state and you don't know all the places, right? Because you, yeah, that's right. From growing up, your comfort level or whatever, just whatever that little measly ass pond was down the road from your house is like so comfortable. Is that yeah. that's probably a big part of it? Well, I gotta I gotta get over it because I I it's you know it's just kind of like in my it's in the back of my mind. And my dad just really did on the Fourth of July. He dropped off like the mother load of like, yeah, basically he got rid of all his bass stuff. He's not interested in that so much, you know, he's just not, he's a, he's a man. He wants to go catch grayling in Alaska. Like we did two years ago. You know, that's he's, he's, a, he wants to get in the river with a fly rod and um, he just dumped all his bass gear on me. But like, I'll bet you I'll bass fish with him this year in Ohio. Are the salmon running in Alaska right now? Oh yeah. Yes, they are. They're running in the Anchorage. Right now, Ship Creek, which is in Anchorage, which is a, what they call combat, the combat zone fishing. Like I've never really participated in it, so I don't know. But combat fishing, when there's just so many dudes out there fishing that it's they, you know, and they're all wearing camo, so they call it combat <laughs> fishing. Yeah, yeah, and it's probably horrific, right? I've never done it, but right now that's what's going on in Anchorage because uh, they have, yeah, the the silver, the silver run, the red run. There's just different runs, yeah. different kinds of salmon that come in. And different rivers, they go up different rivers. And um, when I get up there, it's right in between. And then the silver show up, and uh, it's all it's great. You can catch two a day, and you get a license. Excuse me, you, get, you know, you got to get a license, and and um, 
you get two and two is bit, you know, it's good. You're good to go. Yeah. You're sending some home if you want. And it's really easy to do. It's remarkably easy. I never thought I'd be the kind of person that would do that, like waste the styrofoam and whatever the hell, you know, but it's like, well, what am I going to do with all these silver salmon? So you, yeah, you can have them smoked or whatever and sent it back. And it's like, it is glorious to come back home to some, <laughs> some silver salmon or salmon that you've, that you've caught in Alaska for sure. Anybody that's never caught a salmon or had one on a line, there's nothing that can prepare, prepare you for just how violently they fight. Yeah. You know, I mean, different fishermen, like Cali there's California fishermen or, or Mexican fishermen or people around that would like disagree with you right away. Like, oh my God, you've obviously never caught an albacore tuna or whatever, you know, but it's true. It's just way, it's just different there because there's also some critters around. You just know, you know, you're really always on guard for something dangerous and or deadly to happen in this in that state it's when it's like walking when you walk in the woods in alaska it's not like walking in the woods in indiana or ohio you just don't your your senses are just way more in tune to what's going on around you you're looking you're looking for bear shit you're looking for whatever you're listening you're paying attention no matter how close you are to civilization because you're just way it's way more intense all day long and you are tired as a mother when you're done with that day you are going to sleep. You're going to sit by the fire and you're going to pass out by the, whatever you're going to, it's, it's wonderful. Uh, my friends went down to Lexington to see Wilco at Linus and, um, you just happened to be there and, and everybody ended up at a party somewhere afterwards. And that's fact. Yeah, it is a fact. That was the, that was the night that I went to jail in, in the city of Lexington. And uh, I'll never forget that feeling of like meeting these great musicians and hanging out with them and watching them do their thing and then being trapped in jail and thinking about them drive, riding on and like, what, what, what did I just do and why did I do that? And, you know, it was, it was a total feeling of despair. Um, yeah, they played, they were, you know, they were in the middle of, uh, was that be, uh, being there yeah. kind of thing to right right before Summer Teeth kind of era. So they're, they're basically like the rolling, you know, the one minute they're the stones, one minute they're, you know, they had all their different styles were, were shining through and it was, they put on a show. And they were playing tiny venues too. Yeah, they playing tiny venues like, and, and, and tiny enough. Yeah. And it was still, the party was still uh, on. And basically there was a, there was an after hours party where Max was there who used to be in Wilco then was um, in Freak Water and now the Gourds. And it was a picking party, you know, and, and, and that is Jeff played all night, you know. He was singing songs and playing all night, just like a music lover and a music freak would do, you know, yeah. just like a bluegrass cat up in Alaska that just goes all night, whatever. He was that, he did it, you know, and, and, and that's all. It was just a, just an after hours party that I ended up drinking too much at. And, and uh, I didn't know those guys really at that point, you know, I was just a, a fan and um, that was, I was in the Haynes boys at that time and the, the Haynes boys bailed me out of jail and the next day, and then we came down to Nashville and played for Luke. <laughs> like he was gonna maybe start some record company or something. Yeah, he's just some. Yeah, some guy wants to come see you play. He's gonna. He's thinking about starting a label or something. I don't know. Yeah, it was a mess, total mess. You know, um, so embarrassing. Um, but um, didn't Jay Bennett and uh, maybe King Coomer later play on one of your records? Yeah, and John too. And uh, that was all set up by Joe Ciccarelli who is a great engineer and um, 
could you know cuts tape he's still hired all the time now by great bands by jack white uh divine fits um the so many people the shins because he cuts tape and he's joe ciccarelli he's a genius he's a genius engineer and producer and uh he that was his idea he was like he he brought that idea into new west records and said what if i could get these guys and i didn't even believe it at all at the time i was like oh yeah right come on (laughs) really i mean you know and then yeah and then we we made a record and jeff visited actually uh his sons were very young and um it was a really easy time um that i think taking that and then then taking the record back to Los Angeles and working on it is where the time got not so easy in my, in my, from my perspective, but those guys were just great. And, and, and Jay Bennett, I mean, he was the kind of person in a studio that, that I must say was just one of the greatest, you know, like just watching him work and with his speed and also his inventiveness and on the spot improvisational stuff, which then turned into parts. You know, he he could do both. He knew the, the pop structure and could make a part and compose a part and play it. And then he could also just jam because that's the two different schools when it gets down to it, making records. It's either, oh yeah, man, whatever happens, man, I'm just going for it, which is fine. And then there's the people that work on parts, which is fine. So I, I feel like I'm, I'm part of both of those worlds and you have to be, I think as a folk musician. I was, uh, it was in Columbus, Ohio and, um, Kurt Schiebert, no other productions. He, he was booking towns, towns had come through and played a few different small bars over the years. And, um, I got booked to open that one. And he was sitting in the front row. I didn't even recognize him. I didn't recognize him. I thought it was there was someone had let in, like a homeless guy, maybe a homeless native guy. You know, I just didn't. I didn't have that capability. At first, about forty-five seconds later, I got it. You know, but when he first was there, I just I saw him and then didn't acknowledge him. And then all of a sudden, I was like, "Holy shit!" So a lot of people will say that, you know, he had an act. Butch Hancock just told me this actually when we were, when you and I were hanging out at, uh, at Woody Fest, um, that sometimes he would just be acting like a crazy drunk guy during the show just because he just wanted to pull a gag. Well, this night he had just come back from Europe and he was just exhausted. He was just a mess and he's probably strung out on heroin, you know? Let's face it. I mean, it was he was close to being strung out on something. And uh he was a mess and he people were asking for you know, there's those those stories that you hear sadly that every now and then you hear the train wreck story of the show. And then you hear the glorious comedy side. Then you hear the night that he just nailed it, whatever you know, and and, and this was that night when people were asking for their money back and people were crying and he was crying. And a woman went up on stage and comforted him. And then he kind of chilled out a bit. I don't know if he ever completed a song that night. I think that there is a record. I mean, I could be completely wrong there. Sorry. There is a recording of it. Um, I think uh, Jerry DeSica of the Black Swans actually has the recording of it. Um, and um, 
Did you get to meet him and say hi? Oh yeah. Him? Oh no. Later we we hung out and I I you know I got drunk with him. You know I didn't know any better really myself. Um. Well, anyways, there was shots going around and and he was singing Hank. Williams. Then we sang Hank Williams songs. It was fun. You know, after the show was over, we had fun. During the show, he looked like he was going to die or just something bad was going to happen at any moment, you know, and he, there was definitely an emotional breakdown or two. Um, there was a guy in the audience named Jerry Wick who's, who's no longer with us anymore, and he's a great songwriter, and he's a great, great performer, and uh, he was in a band called Gaunt, and he was in the audience in Love Towns, and he was talk, telling someone to shut the F up, basically. Someone was making too much noise, and he said, shut, shut the fuck up. And Towns, like, stopped the show and started yelling at Jerry. Like, never swear under a roof. That was what he said. Never swear under a roof. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, and that made Jerry cry. And then Towns is crying. So it was, it was, it was just a... a it was a train wreck. That's all that you can say about it. And I remember the promoter coming up to me and saying, is this the way you want to go for your, this the way you want to do it for yourself? Is that the kind of like, yeah, he more, you know, he basically admonished me. Yeah. And, um, apparently I didn't listen to him for a while. Um, but you know, it, it basically, it, he, he had a book, uh, that Butch Hancock had been selling at his store called Lubbock or leave it. And um, I bought that book. It was my first South by Southwest the year before that. And I bought that book and I had it and I brought it that night. And I was kind of superstitious. I don't want to ask people for their autograph. I just don't ask people for, you know, that often. Yeah. And I don't, I think Willie Nelson actually is the other one I did. And like <laughs> when I was 11, I think I, I got on Willie's bus and I was like, Pass, yeah. Um, but uh, that's funny, two Texans. Um, so, oh, and Graham, Graham, uh, Graham Chapman of Monty Python. I did ask for his autograph when I was, I guess, I, I can't believe that one. And I gave that to a friend. But um, basically, I I had someone else ask Towns if he'd signed the book. But they told him it was for me. And he wrote in it, Tim, take the money and run. Good advice. TVZ, yeah. <laughs> Didn't quite listen to that one either, that bit of advice either. <laughs> When Ellington arrived, we were living in Joshua Tree, which is the high Mojave Desert, and there's not many kids out there. So she shows up, and suddenly it just was too far away. I mean, there's children out there, and I have dear friends that have children out there, and they're doing an excellent job, and they're beautiful people. But there just, I guess, wasn't enough of, of them. We needed more or something. It was, you know, it was too far to drive four miles through the hot, through the desert and just the thought of my daughter getting on a bicycle and going doing normal things that 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 we did growing up running around the neighborhood with friends it just and then the other thing for me was the 29 palms marine base that's out there they test bombs you know they test bombs they blow stuff up all the time and that was hard enough already having to just kind of contemplate that way too often I know it's reality, but it's still, but the thought of having to explain that to a child actually just made me sick to my stomach. And I just really, I, I just quickly was like, we got to go. And, um, we, we have dear friends there and we still have our place there, you know, but we had to go and, and, and we went on a sojourn around the country looking for a place to live. And 
we went to upstate New York and it was sunny and beautiful. And it was great. It was like, oh my God, we're moving here. This is excellent. People were like, yeah, move here. You know, everybody was friends and, and just it felt perfect. It was, it was a bunch of easy businesses to open, you know, just great. Then we went through Ohio, which is our home turf. And it was like everybody, the doors were open. It was like, please. And but in a good way, you know, because it's like, yeah, they're our dear friends. And, and that felt great. And then we got, and we got to Nashville and I had a show at the Mercy Lounge and it, I just, I had a good show. We had, and we met a lot of great people and I had a meal over at the Silly Goose. Uh, and it was a great meal. And my sisters, my family were all there. You know, my sister lives down the road in Atlanta. I have another one up the road. And um, so family and, and basically I begged my wife. <laughs> please please can we move please let's i'm telling you i know it's different we have don't know anybody there really um all kinds of things that factor in there and um i said it will be worth it i tell you it'll be worth it i know i just know i can feel it and uh, we we did we went for it and i spent everything i had and uh we got loaded up the truck to you know three dogs and uh, our daughter and got over here on Christmas Eve of 2011. We got here on Christmas Eve. You were pretty stressed out when we were unloading the truck, if I remember. Uh, you were, uh, it's, it's a lot to move your family all the way across the country. I, I bet. I mean, I, th- it was a really hard journey because of the weather. It was one of those, you know, Texas in Texas cars were upside down because of the weather. But uh, that's true. Yeah. Props to you for helping me and just like kind of being the cushion there because you also helped me kind of eyeball the house and check to see if it was a reasonable house to move into. And I, you know, that I didn't know anybody here. And, and really, that, I mean, Brad Jones and Robin Eaton and you. And now it turns out a lot more people really, really fast, you know, really fast. And, but, you know, we're, we're raising a daughter now. So that is really where the, the time is consumed in that for the most part rather than, than social activities but you know you and i cross paths just <laughs> just the right amount you know we see each other we do that we do similar things so yeah. it's a village right it's definitely a neighborhood man it yeah. feels it feels really good here in the neighborhood yeah i appreciate you uh inviting me over to your house and uh sitting and chatting with me no sweat man good talking to you Otis. we should go fishing or something That'd be nice because I just just a couple of spots. Just point me out a couple. <laughs> Give me a I'd like to thank everybody for listening in, and I'd like to thank Tim for inviting me over to his basement here in East Nashville. You can find out everything you need to know about Tim at timeaston.com. If you'd like to help support this show, just go to otisgibbs.com and you can pick up a CD, a t-shirt, you can download any record I've ever made, you can buy one of my photographic prints, you can buy one of Amy's records, you can buy one of Amy's children's books, but anything that you buy, we'll mail from our living room to yours and we'll even put in a little thank you note. If you'd like to help out but you're a little short on cash, just go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Leave a comment, subscribe while you're there, and you'll get a brand new episode free every Wednesday. But if you enjoy this show, or you enjoy my music, or you enjoy Amy's music, please take the time to tell a friend and help us spread the word. 
And if you'd like to send us a message, we'd love to hear from you. Just send it to info at otisgibbs.com. I'm Otis Gibbs. Thanks for giving a damn.